March 25th. I'm Pastor Jeff Shreve, pastor at First Baptist Church in Texarkana, Texas, and the founder of From His Heart Ministries, a national radio and television ministry heard every weeknight at 6 p.m. Central Time on American Family Radio. Well, in the little one-chapter book of Jude, we read these words. Jude says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. I am pleased to welcome to the program today Dr. Tom Askell. Dr. Askell is the pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Cape Coral, Florida. He has been there almost 36 years. It'll be 36 years in June. That is a long time. He is an author. He is a theologian. He's the president of Founders Ministries, and he co-hosts a weekly podcast and was the producer of the eye-opening documentary documentary called By What Standard. And he has been in the news this week because he has uh, agreed to, to give his name to be nominated for the presidency of the Southern Baptist Convention. Tom, welcome to the program today. Jeff, thank you so much for having me on. I'm delighted to be with you. Well, I appreciate it so much. And so, Tom, because we have listeners from all different uh, backgrounds, from all different churches, uh, let, let's just be very, very basic and uh, tell us why do you want to be or why are you willing to be the president of the Southern Baptist Convention? Uh, well, I appreciate the question, the opportunity to address it. Um, for, for several years, I've had people ask me, you know, if I would be willing to submit my name to be nominated for the SBC presidency. And I've just always laughed that off. And uh, it's not anything that I've ever aspired to, anything that uh, I thought that, you know, I needed to try to attain. I always thought, and I still believe today, there are far better men than me who uh, could do this. But uh, there's kind of a, uh, a conflation of several things over the last year or two, especially, has resulted in some of these same men and others uh, talking to me very directly and very uh, specifically about now's the time. If you don't do it, who will do it? And so as I watch what happens in the SBC, I care about it. I love the SBC. I've been Southern Baptist all my life. Our church is Southern Baptist. and uh, talked to pastors, not just Southern Baptists, but pastors around the United States and really the world who recognize the significance of the SBC. And what happens in the SBC affects not just our convention of churches. I mean, the SBC educates one-third of all of the seminary students in the United States. And we have the largest missionary force in the world right now. It goes throughout North America and to the various nations of the world. So what happens here in the SBC matters far beyond just our own borders as these men talked to me and we prayed and I talked to our elders at our church uh, and to see how they initially were not in favor of this because God's been blessing our church in wonderful ways. It's created real challenges. We're, we're needing you know, all hands on deck to uh, shepherd the flock well during these wonderfully challenging days. But to see how they've been, after praying and thinking deeply for a few days, came back and said, you know what, we believe God is leading you to do this. You should do it. Um, my wife was open to it from the last month or so, and talks got serious. 
And uh, I just felt like, okay, God, this is if this is what you have me to do uh, right now, I will do my best. And so I'm involved with a view to see the change of direction that is needed in the convention begin. Uh, I think our convention has been too influenced by worldly ideologies and secularism over the last several years in very subtle ways that will be profoundly destructive if they're not stopped. Uh, I think we've just suffered severe mission drift while maintaining some of the vocabulary of um, being a convention of churches that has the gospel above all and wants to see the gospel go to the world. I think those things are theoretically true, but practically, I think we have lost sight of what is going on beneath the surface in our culture that is coming in to erode the foundation of our churches and these institutions of the SBC that the churches of the SBC own. We built them, we pay for them, we pray for them, and we must hold them accountable. And it's time for local churches in the Southern Baptist Convention to take back clear responsibility in holding those institutions accountable. Well, now, Tom, back in the 70s, uh, it was was obvious that the Southern Baptist Convention was really drifting into liberalism. Guys were teaching in the seminaries that didn't believe the Bible. Uh, There was a conservative resurgence. It was a miracle of God that things turned around. So walk me through what has happened since then, since the late 70s, when with the election of Dr. Adrian Rogers, how because things got better and then we're back to where we are today. So explain that to us. Yeah, I think what happened, Jeff, is, um, you know, I was there. I was a foot soldier, if you want to use that language, and I was trying to be a faithful pastor and going to the convention and voting for the uh, resurgence of conservatism and unashamed affirmation of the inerrancy of Scripture. And we were on the brink of losing that. And uh, praise God for what he did in that. But I think what happened is that we kind of settled in with a triumphalistic spirit in the conventions. Oh, yes, look what we've done. You know, we've we've recovered a full-throated commitment to the authority, the authority and fallibility and inerrancy of Scripture. And praise God for it, but that's not enough. Uh, we need to also be willing to affirm the sufficiency of Scripture and to be willing to stand on the authority of God's Word to determine how Christians should live in this world Uh, what we should proclaim to the world, how churches should operate in the world. And I I think we just kind of uh, winked at those things as if they were not that significant, Um, not not intentionally, but I think just subtly. And then the world began to creep in and say, well, you know, uh, sexuality is not simply binary. You know, it's not just male and female, and uh, it's not just... um, heterosexuality or heteronormativity. And so we began to have some of our leaders say things like this, you know, well, I know that homosexuality doesn't send anybody to hell because heterosexuality doesn't send anybody to heaven. And God whispers about sexual sin. And uh, I was wrong for saying that uh, same-sex attraction can be changed through the uh, means of of grace that God's given us in the Scripture, and that people are born this way, and you can be a same-sex attracted Christian, you can be a homosexual Christian. Uh, We need to use pronoun hospitality with transgendered people because that's the loving thing to do. And all of these things are couched in a a well-intentioned, let's let's give the benefit of the doubt, a well-intentioned desire 
to maintain an opportunity to be evangelistic. But what's happening in that well-intentioned desire is you're actually giving up the very foundations on which we must stand in order to proclaim this is what the Lord says. And we've lost sight of the Lordship of Christ over every area of life. So today, in many ways, the situation is more pernicious than what we faced in the 70s and 80s, because the people that that I'm uh, saddened by that have been in leadership that have let this stuff happen, they're all professed inheritists. We don't have any classic liberals that are going around saying we want to liberalize the SBC. And I've never couched this things in this this challenge in terms of liberalism and conservatism. Uh, it is it is more insidious and more subterranean than that. Now, when you have an inheritance who signs the Baptist Faith and Message, the Danvers Statement, the Nashville Statement, who then can turn around and endorse the Revoice Conference that is geared toward trying to uh, provide space for homosexual Christians and to affirm them in their struggles without acknowledging that their desires for homosexual sex is sinful, that's a problem. And when I've addressed that very question, I'm thinking of one particular professor at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. When I professed it to the, I brought that up to the president of the seminary, the response was, Tom, she has signed all these documents. And my response is, that is a bigger problem still. So that's what's happened. It, it's, a, it's a tragedy to me, and it took me a long time to get my mind wrapped around it, because we are talking about people who do affirm these documents and the orthodox doctrines of our faith, but who have been manipulated, or perhaps intentionally, for well-intentioned motives, but wrong thinking, have led our convention into waters that are very dangerous and will take us down with this broken, fallen, wicked culture if we don't begin a reversal process. Well, one of the reasons that uh, I support you, Tom, and I admire you is because you are a warrior for the truth and you will contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down uh, to the saints. You know what what is um, mind boggling to me is that the people in, in, in the positions of leadership in the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, their attitude is, well, there's no problem. There's no liberal drift. Everything is, you know, just shut up and, and enjoy the ride. Um, and this is kind of a hard question, but do you think they're just deceiving themselves? Or do you think, you know, the scripture says evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived uh, where do you think some of these guys are? Yeah, it's a great question, and, and I, I've struggled with it. And I've got people who tell me, you know, Tom, you're you're an idiot because you refuse to see these guys as malevolent and uh, wicked in their motives. And, and Jeff, what I've come to terms with is I'm willing to live with unanswered questions about motives and why some of these guys do this. You know, I just don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to go where I'm not able to, to make uh, <laughs> careful judgments, yes, but, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They may be brothers, but if so, they don't need to be leaders anymore because they have failed as leaders. And that's, I can say that uh, very, very clearly. And we shouldn't be surprised at this. I mean, I look at Matthew 16, where Peter makes that great confession at Caesarea Philippi, and then he turns around and says, oh, no, Lord, that's not going to happen to you in Jerusalem. And you remember what Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. Okay, mm-hmm. 
we have an enemy. We have an enemy in this world, and he was able to capture the mind of Peter, an apostle, mm-hmm. uh, and try to set him against Jesus effectively, and Jesus rebuked him by calling him Satan. And then Acts 20, which is one of the most poignant scenes in all the New Testament, when Paul calls for the elders of Ephesus to meet him at Miletus, and he looks at those men, and, and some of them, I believe, I mean, th- those elders, Paul himself, may have actually appointed in Ephesus. He spent you know, three-plus years there, and, and Paul, very plaintively, you know, talked about having admonished them with tears in, uh, for uh, day in and day out, but he says, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. He's talking about men he appointed. Well, if an apostolic church with apostolic appointed elders could have men led away by the devil, we shouldn't be surprised if it happens to us. We shouldn't be surprised. Now, are they complicit with the devil? You know, are they intentionally doing this for nefarious motives, or have they been manipulated? I don't know. I'll leave that with God. But I just look at the facts and say, you, we need a new set of leaders. We need a change of leadership. And uh, I think that's indisputable. I'm willing to contend for that. Amen. Well, I appreciate that. And, uh, and you know, I appreciate the fact that you're not necessarily wanting to do this. You're willing to do this. I, I did hear you on another broadcast where you said, I, you know, to be the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, I'd, I'd much rather get hit with a bag of pennies. Uh, because it, it's going to be difficult and, and people are going to attack you and, you know, try and find things that you said that they can say, well, you know, he's, he's a heretic, he's an idiot, he's a bigot, you know, all the different things that they're going to yeah. try and do. So, I, Tom, I just want to tell you, I appreciate you doing this. I appreciate you putting your name in the hat. And I appreciate the fact that although you and I may not agree on everything, um, you know, as it relates to Calvinism, I appreciate you. You're my brother in the Lord. And uh, I like to be around guys who are willing to contend earnestly and fight the good fight of faith uh, to to keep the faith for the next generation, because that is so critical. Well, we're talking yeah, to thanks, Dr. Sir. Tom. Thank you. We're talking to Dr. Tom Askell. Uh, Tom is pastor. He is author. He is theologian. He is a movie maker. And uh, he is uh, submitting his name to be uh, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention when the convention meets in June in Anaheim, California. So don't go away. We will be right back. Hi folks, my name is Seth Udinsky. I'm the producer for Financial Issues with Dan Celia. As Dan recovers in the hospital, the team at FISM would like to invite you to join us in prayer and fasting for Dan's healing. And folks, this idea of prayer and fasting can sometimes be a little bit of a scary thing for Christians, especially the whole concept of fasting. Obviously, you could certainly fast from food, but you can also fast in other ways as well. You know, the purpose of fasting is really for us to orient our hearts around God and to focus on the fact that we need him. This Wednesday, March the 23rd, we will be praying for healing over Dan's body. And on Thursday, March the 24th, we will be praying specifically for the doctors and nurses caring for Dan. On Friday, March the 25th, we will pray for comfort for Dan's family. Join us, folks, as we pray and fast for Dan. And for more information about Dan's road to recovery and how you can pray specifically for him, go to FISM.TV forward slash pray and fast.
March 12th was D-Trans Awareness Day. People who bought the lie that they could change their gender and be happy told the world they made a mistake. One girl said she was depressed, non-functioning, and suicidal, so she attempted a gender change but felt worse. Gender-confused people are searching for happiness. The way to be happy is by accepting who God made us to be and learning how much our Heavenly Father loves us. I'm Pastor John Miller. Visit me at churchontherock.org. Today's culture is opting for entertainment rather than biblical enlightenment. For those who resist that trend, Friends of Israel shows listeners why loving the Jewish people and supporting Israel is important to the Christian faith. Friends of Israel shares biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah and promotes solidarity with the Jewish people. This is Chris Katolka of the Friends of Israel Today radio program heard each weekend on this station, and here's what's happening in Israel. Friends of Israel, Saturday afternoon at 2, here on American Family Radio. And my father, your great-grandfather, fought in World War II. Really? He was a gunner on the big ship out in the Pacific Ocean. Wow. Your great-grandmother did her part, too. Was she on a ship? Oh, no. She stayed back home. She and a lot of her friends worked really hard in a factory because the men had gone off to war. And they held scrap metal drives to help in the war effort. The folks back home were heroes, too. Here at the American Family Association, we consider you the heroes back home. As you fulfill your responsibility of caring for your family day to day, your partnership with us is crucial as we fight the enemies of freedom in America. Thank you for your commitment to the American Family Association. Grandpa, what's a scrap metal drive? (laughs) Let's get some cookies and I'll tell you all about it. Welcome back to the program. Pastor Jeff Shreve here. I want to encourage you to pray for Dan Celia and pray for his family. We're having these three days, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and today, to pray, to fast and pray for Dan, that God would put his healing hand upon him. I always uh, think of the name of God, Jehovah Rapha, Yahweh Rapha, the Lord who heals. And and God has given us that name to call upon when uh, we're interceding for a friend, a neighbor, a loved one, somebody that desperately needs God's healing touch upon his life. And so we pray that for Dan. We are talking to my friend, Dr. Tom Askell. Tom is a pastor, author, theologian. He's also uh, a graduate of the University of Texas, or I'm sorry, Texas A&M University, the Fighting A&M Aggies, class of 1979. Tom, tell us about that. Well, yeah, you know, uh, my brother-in-law graduated at A&M, and so he was a few years ahead of me, and, and I was always intrigued by A&M. Uh, was planning to go to uh, either Baylor or Washington Baptist University because I thought the Lord was calling me to the ministry even back then. But I got a scholarship to A&M, and uh, I was in need of a scholarship. So I took that, uh, moved to College Station, had a sister and brother-in-law live there, so lived with them, and was able to, to uh, go to A&M, study sociology and psychology there, tried to run from the Lord's call to ministry during that time. But my senior year, he uh, boxed me in by calling me to be the pastor of Rock Prairie Baptist Church in College Station. So I did that, and uh, then after graduation, 
went to seminary. So, yeah, man, I'm a Texas Aggie sitting here having a radio interview with a Texas Longhorn. So I think that shows the power of the gospel right there, Jeff, doesn't it? There, it sure does. Now, I, I married a, a fighting Texas Aggie, class of 1984, and I graduated from UT in 1984. But I did tell you on Twitter that uh, the word Longhorn now is synonymous with uh, sports disappointment because uh, – <laughs> That's that's just what takes yeah. place for us these days. Well, I understand. I've been there, but let me uh, let me commend you on uh, marrying up. <laughs> yes, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Okay, Tom. So, um, I had Mike Huckabee on the program last week, and I was asking him about what's going on in the Southern Baptist Convention. Mike is a is a steering council member of the Conservative Baptist Network, which I'm a part of also. And I said, Mike, why are you part of that? And, and what do you see happening in the Southern Baptist Convention? I loved his answer. He, he said um, what he sees taking place in the Southern Baptist Convention with entity heads. He, he said, uh, especially when it relates to uh, to seminaries. Uh, he said, guys want to, it's almost like high school. You want to sit at the cool guys table and you want to be accepted mm-hmm. and you want to be respected and you don't want to be considered the, the yahoo who believes in, in the flood story and that God created the world in six 24 hour days and that kind of thing. Um, that doesn't seem to happen as much to pastors as it does to guys in seminary. Uh, would you say that's true? Yeah, yeah, I would. And again, I think that's a good way to frame the bigger picture if we're looking back maybe, you know, five, six decades and to a degree today, because I think that was more prominent the way you just described it. And Mike said it in the 60s, 70s and 80s. It, you know, it was almost like this un- unspoken uh, agreement that uh, conservative uh, evangelicals had with the liberals in the uh, larger Christian community, hey, we'll call you Christian if you call us scholars, okay? And everybody wanted to be respected by the academy. And I think that's what got us in trouble in the 60s and 70s and made professors start hedging on things like you just mentioned, some of those core teachings of doctrines of Scripture. But again, today, we don't have people that are denying the inerrancy of Scripture. We don't have people that are embarrassed about uh, the the big fish swallowing Jonah, or the bodily resurrection of Christ, the return of Christ. Those aren't those aren't the battlefields today. It's it's more. We want to be thought of as nice. We want to be considered by the world as reasonable. And so, when the world tells us that it's uh, it's hateful to say there's only one way to heaven, you know, I'm not saying anybody denies that, but boy, we want to hedge the way we say it. When the world says it's hateful not to look at a man who, who now says he's a woman and to call her she or call him she and her to use pronoun hospitality. That's hateful. And again, I just think we've been manipulated. I, I don't think these are necessarily across the board guys that are intent on doing evil. I just think they are giving up the ground that scripture will not allow us to give up or we cannot give up without just ultimately faltering in everything the Bible reveals. Another way to cast it that I've looked at is that is creational theology uh, along with uh, salvation or redemptive theology. I think we have given up creational theology incrementally. And so I've been saying for years, the most important verse in the Bible today is Genesis 1-1. This is God's world. He's the one who determines what's a man, what's a woman. He's the one who determines what is love, what is justice, what is mercy, what is peace. 
We, we don't get to use those words and make them up and turn the definitions from our own uh, understanding and, and, and fill those words with that definition, or worse yet, take the definitions of the world. You're not being loving unless you do this. You're not being just unless you do this. That's what's happened, and too many of our evangelical leaders have just been played at that point. So, oh, yes, you're right, you know, and we have to see what you see. We have to, we have to see what you tell us is there, regardless of whether or not it squares with what the Bible tells us is there. So these are, these are foundational creational issues that go right to the heart of reality. Reality is what God says it is, and love and maleness, femaleness, humanity— Right, wrong, justice, mercy, they are what God say that they are. That's so true. And First Corinthians 13 tells us what love really is. I heard this uh, in a Vody Bauckham sermon. I loved it. He was talking about like attending a gay wedding. He said, the reason you don't do that is because love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. And I've heard uh, Dr. John MacArthur say this, hey, the most loving thing that you can say, tell somebody is lovingly tell them the truth. You know, you don't bash them over the head with the truth, but they desperately need to hear the truth. You don't enter into their delusion. You tell them the truth. And uh, yeah. it doesn't seem like we're doing that today because, as you said, Tom, we want to be nice. Uh, Thou shalt yeah, be nice, the, right. 11th, the 11th commandment. <laughs> that's right. Well, you know, I, I, I said this too. I don't care about the 11th commandment. I just wish we'd focus on the first 10. If we could get back to what God has actually said within the 11th commandment, we wouldn't even worry about it. Right. Um, Tom, when you did the, the movie, By What Standard, how long was that in the making? Well, that's a fascinating story. The decision to make that documentary came like eight days before, or nine days before the Southern Baptist Convention of 2019. We contacted David Shannon, the movie maker. He had just had a cancellation of a big project. And so he said, yeah, well, in the province, God, I'm free for the next two weeks. So uh, the convention was meeting uh, out in Birmingham. And so he got a team together quickly. I mean, it's amazing. He was able to get cameramen's con- cameramen contracted and flew out to Birmingham ahead of the convention, got things set up. And uh, we began to uh, to do it then. And, and my my plan was to do kind of an update of the Battle for the Minds documentary that PBS did, I think, back in 1995 or so, uh, in the wake of Al Mohler and the conservative resurgence uh, in general and Al Mohler becoming president of Southern Seminary. It was made by a guy whose mother wanted to be a Southern Baptist pastor, of course, now wasn't going to be able to because of the conservative resurgence. And that, I would encourage your listeners to go look that up. It's, it's um, uh, Battle for the Minds, PBS. It's on YouTube. They released it on YouTube for the first time back in 2019 in the spring. And I remember watching it and listening to it and thinking, wow, you know, the liberals back then sound like some of our conservatives today. It's like we've been drifting in the wrong direction. And so we wanted to do an update on it. So I contacted, you know, SBC leaders that I know and had a relationship with. And they said, sure, man, we'll do that. We'll sit down with it. And and so we did all that basically at the convention. And then the thing that happened at the convention that turned everything was the last session, the last day, the last minutes of the convention, when Resolution 19 or Resolution 9 was just rammed through by the Resolutions Committee. And, and that was such an offensive thing that happened when they took a resolution, gutted it 
turned it around to say 180 degrees opposite of what the original author submitted it to say, use the author's name, use the same name on, that he gave to his resolution, and then set it out to say that uh, critical race theory, intersectionality are analytical tools. And, uh, you know, and I fought against that and, and failed. But uh, that changed the whole direction and tenor of what the by what standard documentary became. How was that received, Tom? Well, uh, not very well. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I had people calling me, pressuring me to uh, not release it. Uh, I had people trying to cancel me and founders. We'd released like a four or five minute trailer and had people accusing us of uh, saying that Rachel Den Hollander was a demon. And I mean, it's just all kind of wicked things. And, and I had people who, we sent out that trailer, by the way, to more than a hundred people. I personally sent it out to more than a hundred people, including some SBC leaders. Every one of them said, good, this is, can't wait for the movie. I knew the trailer was edgy. And, you know, we talked about it with the producer or with the, uh, the filmmaker. I said, this is as far as I can go in edginess, okay? I don't, I don't ever live there, and I might visit it every few years, so I'm not going that far again, but I see your point. And we did it that way, but uh, people, I mean, up to the day we released it publicly, which was, I think, uh, January the 7th, oh, no, December the 7th, 2019, we showed it for the first time at a premiere at the Founders Conference that year. I had people calling me saying, don't do this, don't do this, this will ruin you. This is going to destroy Founders Ministries. Uh, how dare you? You know, you mustn't do it. And and a lot of people were confused. I mean, some people were just really wanted this not to do it. But a lot of people were confused and, and uh, fearful for me. And um, I lost. Some, I, had some, I had some damage to some relationships and lost some friends over it. And, um, so, it, yep. but in the when it when it was released, it's been received very well. And praise God for that. I think it's helped a lot of people. I mean, even today, I'm at Ligonier Ministries right now, their annual conference in Orlando, and I've had, I don't know how many people come up and thank me for that documentary because it opened their eyes to what was going on. Well, that's what I was going to ask too, Tom, because the average Southern Baptist that comes to church and gives and serves and he doesn't know or she doesn't know really much of what's going on in the seminaries or in the institutions of the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, how, how do you how do you get the, the word across to an average churchgoer that there's trouble afoot? Yeah, well, the best thing I know right now is to, to ask them to take, you know, the hour and 40 minutes or however long the documentary is and just watch it. If you just watch it, invest that much time. I, I have seen people do 180s uh, having watched that because we and, and people don't like it. You know, I've had I've been accused of misrepresenting people in the documentary, but we use their own words. We let them say from their own mouths things that they have professed, and they don't like that. I mean, they because well, we didn't mean it that way. I mean, Matthew Hall, who's the provost at Southern Seminary in Louisville, you know, you hear him say on this. Uh, we, we clipped it and put it in the documentary. I am a racist and will be a racist till the day I die. Now, you know, I talked to Matt about it, and he was trying to walk it back without ever saying, you know, I renounce what I said, or I was just virtue signaling, or I shouldn't have said it. And he didn't say any of those things. He tried to issue some qualifications. But I want to know how hard is it just to say, you know what, that was wrong. Was stupid. I shouldn't have said it. But he was getting applauded for saying it by the right. world. He's getting applauded by progressives. And so it felt good to say it and be applauded until somebody like me comes and turns the light on and say, wait a minute, why do we right. have a racist as the provost of our oldest seminary? 
Yeah, why so is he still I employed? Yeah, I, exactly. I, I mean, you know, are we against racism or not? Yeah, that, that that floors me. It's like, why well, wouldn't have that guy on my staff? Why is he at the seminary? If he's a racist, yeah. uh, he needs to repent of his racism and get right with God. Exactly. Um, okay, so Tom, for those that haven't seen it, how would you sum it up? What are they getting ready to see if they watch by what standard? They're getting ready to see how the world's ideologies, particularly critical race theory, intersectionality, but those words aren't even all that important. Secularism. You see how the new religion that has arisen over the last 20 to 30 years and then with uh, the 2019, 2020, uh, 2018, 2020 uh, era uh, just began to rear its head and come on like steroids. They're going to see how that secularist, those secularist ideologies have infiltrated the church in the broader evangelical world. We let, we let spokesmen speak with their own words, and we compare them to secularists from, who don't have any regard for God, and they sound like they're mimicking each other. And it's, it's very clear, and people hate that, but it's very clear that the church, in many respects, many of these church leaders are marching to the drumbeat of a secular world. And it's been it's happened subtly, and again, I'll leave motives to God, but you cannot deny the facts. And so, what people will see when they watch this documentary is what I would argue is indisputable evidence that we have serious problems in the evangelical institutions that we've long trusted, and that includes SBC institutions and agencies, which is why, again, I'm allowing myself to be nominated to be president of the SBC, so we can start addressing these things in a, a more direct and decisive manner. Well, and I appreciate you doing that, as uh, many others do. We're looking forward to what the Lord's going to do as we uh, get out in the battlefield. You know, David David had to step out on the battlefield to face off with Goliath. God, uh, God took the stone and supercharged the stone so that he could defeat Goliath, but God didn't throw the stone. Uh, and David yeah. had to go out there. And, and so, Tom, uh, you're going out there. <laughs> I still remember a quote that uh, Paul Pressler told me that uh, W.A. Criswell said to Paige Patterson back in, back in the 70s, I'm going to fight this liberalism with every last drop of Paige Patterson's blood. Uh, so we, we don't want to be like that with you. We want to support you. But we do believe that this is a good fight, and it's a worthy fight because we're called by God to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. We're talking to Dr. Tom Askell, and we're talking about the Southern Baptist Convention and the vote coming up in June for the presidency. And so we're going to talk about his vision. Don't go away. We'll be right back. When you hear this, this is American Family News. You know what follows is the truth. Your news from a Christian perspective. Hundreds of teachers are going to have to walk into that school building and they are forced to swallow political ideology that in many cases violates their very faith and conscience. If you miss it at the top of the hour, American Family News podcasts are available at AFN.net and sign up for our daily news brief at AFN.net. They should face some sort of consequences. At the very least, what you put on there should be true. And if it's not true, 
then it should be actionable. Major social media outlets are finding ways to block the conservative evangelical viewpoint. The American Family Association will no longer be canceled. Announcing AFA Streaming, our own video streaming platform, which will allow access to all AFA video content. AFA Streaming is now available. Learn more at AFA.net. Hi, folks. My name is Seth Udinsky. I'm the producer for Financial Issues with Dan Celia. As Dan recovers in the hospital, the team at FISM would like to invite you to join us in prayer and fasting for Dan's healing. And folks, this idea of prayer and fasting can sometimes be a little bit of a scary thing for Christians, especially the whole concept of fasting. Obviously, you could certainly fast from food, but you can also fast in other ways as well. You know, the purpose of fasting is really for us to orient our hearts around God and to focus on the fact that we need him. This Wednesday, March the 23rd, we will be praying for healing over Dan's body. And on Thursday, March the 24th, we will be praying specifically for the doctors and nurses caring for Dan. On Friday, March the 25th, we will pray for comfort for Dan's family. Join us, folks, as we pray and fast for Dan. And for more information about Dan's road to recovery and how you can pray specifically for him, go to FISM.tv forward slash pray and fast. Here's some great news. If you missed the deadline to sign up for health insurance or if, like a lot of people, you just have a plan you're not happy with, you still have a choice. It's called MediShare. It's a Christian healthcare sharing program. There are more than 400,000 members now, and they love it. In fact, MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate compared to that of health insurance. And MediShare really is the gold standard when it comes to healthcare sharing. It's been around more than 25 years. Members have shared more than $4 billion of each other's medical bills. Plus, MediShare is for you. It has saved its members billions by advocating on their behalf. Best of all, the typical savings for a family is around $6,000 a year. So if you think you're stuck with a high-cost health plan that doesn't have much to offer, think again. MediShare has a 98% customer satisfaction rating, and you are invited to be part of it. Call now. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. Welcome back to the program. We're talking to Dr. Tom Askell. I'm Pastor Jeff Shreve, pastor at First Baptist Church in Texarkana, Texas, and the founder of From His Heart Ministries, heard every weeknight at 6 p.m. Central Time on American Family Radio. Okay, Tom, I have this question for you. I know that you're well enough connected to um, the situation in the Southern Baptist Convention. All the players know who you are. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming that you've talked privately to many of these guys about your concerns. How, how do they respond to you? Yeah, well, it's various, you know, and, and that's one of the saddest things to me about this, Jeff, is I do know these guys. I love them. Um, but some of them have just kind of uh, dismissed concerns, not just to me, but other pastors. I've had pastors reach out to me from across the SBC. They've shown me correspondence that they've had with uh, some of our leaders, and it has basically been, you know, nothing to see here. You know, thank you for your letter. Thank you for your concern. Everything's fine. Even yesterday, I had a conversation with another Southern Baptist pastor who just discovered an email that went to his junk file back in the late summer of 2021 an email that demonstrates he was lied to by uh, one of the executives in, in one of our SBC entities. And it's tragic. I mean, these kind of things happen. And he went back and he looked at the email, the, the response he got from the entity, 
And they said one thing in this email from the pastor of the church he questioned about said the exact opposite. So trust has been broken. It's being broken. And, uh, you know, it's sad. I, I, I just wish that there would be an openness and a response. As Jason Allen said a year or two ago, look, if you have concerns, write them to all any of the seminary presidents, any of our entity heads. You will be received. You'll get a response. Well, he was overly optimistic in that. And there are too many receipts held by too many people to demonstrate that's not the case. And, and it's sad. I'm, I've had the case personally myself, uh, calling, writing to folks saying, what about this? How can you let your professor say this? How can you let these folks representing your organization say this? This is, this is really bad wrong. We're not talking about second and third level issues. And one is a, a, you know, one of the former vice presidents of the North American Mission Board said the gospel is not good news if it's only about spiritual restoration with God that it's got to have economic restoration. It's got to have emotional restoration. It's got to have social restoration. I mean, that's, I'm not making it up. That's Dahadi Lewis. It's on his YouTube channel. You can go find it. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, there it is. I mean, so how we, I'm not going to pay for that. I can't ask Southern Methodist churches to fund that kind of uh, unorthodox, if not outright heretical teaching. I can't do it. And, And Southern Baptist shouldn't be asked or expected to do it. That's exactly right. Well, Tom, so tell us what is your vision if you were to be elected as president of the Southern Baptist Convention? What is your vision and what would change? Well, I mean, obviously, the Southern Baptist president cannot do a lot. I mean, everybody looks at it as, oh, this is a massively important responsibility. It is important, but you you only have very limited opportunity to do official things. You get to appoint the committee on committees. You get to appoint the committee on resolutions. You become ex officio on various uh, boards of trustees, but you do have a bullet pulpit. You can't speak. And so here's what I would want to do. I mean, I've, I've divided this into two areas. We need spiritual reformation. We need structural renovation. And, and spiritual reformation, I'm talking about, man, we need basic things that just come back to basic. I'm a pastor. And so I, I view this through, what do I want for the congregation? How do I teach? How do I shepherd? What do I want to see happening in our people? And of course, the president of the SBC is not the pastor of the convention at all, but he does have an opportunity to speak. And by spiritual reformation, what I mean is we need to return to a profound fear of God. I mean, I don't think we have much fear of God, um, certainly not in our culture, but I'm afraid we don't have it in our church as much. And we need to we need to get serious with God. There's a God in heaven. We're going to give an account to Him. And you know, the Scripture says, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and all those who practice it have a good understanding. We need to do that. We need to, we need to come back to the law of God. I mean, what we joked about earlier, People don't know the Ten Commandments. I mean, we, you ask any Christian, ask your typical church member, hey, do you believe the Ten Commandments? They'll say yes, then ask them to name them. We can't even name the commandments, much less try to keep them anymore. We need to come back to the fact that God has a law, that he has spoken, and he loves his law as much as he loves his gospel. And we need to face up to the unchanging law of God because that will show us just how far away from his glory we have fallen and how deeply we need to repent. And that's a, a massive need I see is repentance. We we need to be unashamed of the gospel and not be uh, allowed or willing to, to varnish off any of its rough, rough edges at any point. So in, in essence, I think it's First Peter 4.17 in terms of the you know, spiritual reformation. It's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. It begins with us. What will the outcome be of those who don't obey the gospel of God? So I, I, that's spiritually what I see. But then structurally, we need some real change in the SPC. Man, we need to 
change our trustee system. I think our trustee system is in many ways broken. Uh, so many of the trustees of our entities and agencies almost see themselves as unpaid, unpaid employees of those entities and agencies. You know, they're, they're cheerleaders for the entities rather than seeing themselves as appointed by the churches to hold those entities and institutions in trust for the churches. So we need a training system for trustees so that they're not wined and dined by the entity heads as, hey, you know, we're glad you're here. You need to help us, you know, with the, the, this institution, represent us well. You know, they need to hold the institutions in trust and accountable to the churches. So we need to revamp how we train our trustees and look at the whole trustee system. Do we have too many trustees in our entities? What does it cost us to have trustees in our entities? What do they do? How do they function? Can we do it better? So structurally, uh, that needs to be examined. I, I think we ought to bring to an end this policy of SBC employees going to the convention annually on the cooperative program's dime as messengers. Uh, it's, it's like a voting sure. block. And the yes. Washington Post last year said that North American Mission Board, they flew in church planners to vote for Ed Litton. Now, I'm not saying that. I'm saying the Washington Post said that. I was contacted by a vice president of NAM, and he said, that's not true. I said, great, contact the writer of the article and call him to recant, recant it, to issue an apology. And of course, they never did that. I mean, I checked with the the author of the article. It never happened. So, okay, it's either it's true or it's not. If it's not true, then renounce it and renounce the article and call the author to uh, recant of it. So I don't know all the details of that, but I don't think I should pay for somebody's way to the convention to uh, campaign against and to vote against things that I think are for the health of our convention. So I just think we ought to remove that, that SBC employees who go to the convention on the cooperative program dollar should not be allowed to vote. If they're going to go as missionaries, let them pay their own way. Now, there might be some, you know, maybe some uh, exceptions to that at, at higher levels of the employees of our agencies. But nevertheless, that needs to be looked at. I think we need to revamp and strengthen the credential committee's process of investigating churches that are out of step with God's faith and message. I, I know countless pastors who said, we, we turned in this church because they have a woman pastor. We turned in this church because they practice pagan worship. You know, we turned in this, and, and they don't hear a thing from the credentials committee. And, and very few, one for, I think, uh, racism last year, and maybe one for a homosexual issue a couple of years before. There's only been two or three of those cases I can think of where the credentials committee has made the motion recommendation that we remove churches from the convention. Well, we have boundaries in the SBC and this Baptist faith and message, no doubt, but the Baptist faith and message is built upon reality, a real world of a real God that is the God of Genesis 1-1. And so I think we need to look at that whole credentials committee process as well. I think we've got to come to terms with the LGBTQ transgenderism agenda and determine whether we need to bulk up the Baptist faith and message to that point. I think we need to do the same thing in terms of women pastors, the way that line in the Baptist faith and message has become almost like a wax nose to fit any agenda of any church. Well, it, does, it means senior pastors, or it doesn't mean she can't preach like a pastor. She just can't be a senior. And we just let's clarify it. What do we mean? What, what are the boundaries going to be there for us? So those are the structural kinds of things that need attention. And of course, the president can't fix all that. But you can shine light on it. You can start a conversation about it. And I, I think we need an open and honest conversation on those kinds of things. 
I think I think that's exactly right, and I think that would be a, a great step forward. Now, associated with your name and, and the presidency has also been Vody Bauckham to be the president of the 2023 Pastors Conference. Uh, Tom, why is that important? Oh, man. Well, I mean, the Pastors Conference is, is great to be able to have a time where you got guys come together for expositional preaching. I've heard some wonderful sermons at our Pastors Conference you know, in the past, and so uh, I, I'm not you know, suggesting that you know everything that's happened there is bad. It's not at all. But Bodhi is like the one of the, if not the premier expositor in the Southern Baptist Convention. It's amazing. God's just gifted him for that. And to see him model preaching and then him to be very careful in selecting men who will come together to preach uh, expositional sermons in the 2023 convention, it just sets the right tone. For the convention that follows, I don't know if you remember, but the convention that got canceled in uh, Orlando didn't happen in Orlando, 2020. Well, the uh, president of the pastors' conference that year actually invited a woman pastor to be one of the speakers. Which, mm-hmm. again, you think, how do we get there? I can guarantee you this: if Vody Balkan becomes the president <laughs> of the pastors' conference in 2023, there won't be any women preachers. Okay, there will yes. be men of God who love the Word of God, who will give their lives to expound that Word. And we need that model. We need that. All I need that. And I think every pastor would rejoice to see that happen. So yes, man, voting is the right guy to be president of the Pastors Conference. Well, Tom, let me ask you this. Given the current trajectory of the Southern Baptist Convention, if, if we just maintain status quo what happens in the next few years to the SBC? Well, I think you can just look at other institutions in our society. I mean, the, the thing that we're witnessing in our society, it's not primarily theological. It is theological. But look at what's happened to uh, things just like a crew, Campus Crusade, or look at what's happened to some of the uh, other institutions that have just given in to these ideologies. Man, I think we've become more and more played by the world, more and more manipulated to where we give up just some of the, the uh, basic commitments that we hold dear regarding the authority, inerrancy, sufficiency of God's Word. Uh, I mean, you see it happening in things like women's roles in the church. You know, we're told that we're being uh, repressive against women because we don't let women be pastors. Well, it's not we're letting or not letting anybody. We're just trying to understand the Bible the way it's been understood for 2,000 years on this issue. Not to say there haven't been exceptions with people that have been out of step, but they have been out of step with what the Orthodox uh, understanding of the role of pastor is. And you just see feminism. You know, it's the air we breathe. And, and my fear is I, the, the world is discipling us 24-7. And pastors need to wake up and understand this. I mean, I've seen this in my church, see it in my life, my family. I tell them all the time, look, we're being discipled 24-7. Parents, your children are being discipled 24-7. And quite honestly, the world's doing a better job of discipleship than we are in the church. And we need to wake up and recognize, no, 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 we have a book. And we need to say what God says in that book and disciple our people more effectively. If we don't, then we're going to find us ourselves downstream at some point mimicking the world, going along with the world in ways that the Scripture very clearly says that we must not do. Romans 12, 1 and 2, we're Mm -hmm. to be transformed through the renewal of our mind, not to let the world press us into its mold, in J.B. Phillips' language. We are not to be conformed to this world, 
And my fear is that's precisely what's happening incrementally, sometimes subtly, but inevitably, unless we intentionally take a stand against it. Well, that's that's just hitting the nail on the head. I've said before from the pulpit, the devil is the original terminator. He doesn't ever stop. He doesn't take a break. And that pressure to squeeze us into the mold of the world, that is constant. And uh, we desperately have to fight against that. Uh, Tom, just as we get ready to close out, what would you say to the uh, average Southern Baptist church member that says, well, what can I do to make a difference? What would you say to him? Yeah. Well, certainly pray. I mean, there's a God in heaven, and He hears us. And uh, again, quite honestly, if I get elected in Anaheim, it'll be a work of God. It'll be the act of God, because I'm not smart enough to do this. And I don't think anybody's got those silver bullets in their pocket. So pray, fundamentally, first and foremost, pray. But recognize, too, that the polity of the Southern Baptist Convention is such that it can be changed. We can change direction, but there's only one way that we can change it. You've got to show up and vote. You've got to be willing to go to a business meeting two days a year for the next several years and vote for a president who sees things the way that you see them, that you is committed to the kind of change that you see needing to be made. I know it's hard. Anaheim's a far, a far way. It's going to be expensive. <laughs> it's going to be convenient, you know, but there's no other way. If you want change, this is what it costs. You're going to have to do it. I, I, I've seen online recently some guys saying they're driving out there, sleeping in their cars because they can't afford to fly. They can't afford to own wow. And, you know, it breaks my heart, but hey, look, a lot of us did that during the conservative resurgence as well. You know, pack peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and drive in, sleep in your car, and vote. So that's well, the it, only hope, and pray for those who go. Well, it's definitely a labor of love because uh, most people don't like business meetings, and this is a business right. meeting that lasts for two solid days. Um, but it's important, and there's much at stake, and we're called by God to be good soldiers of Christ Jesus to fight the good fight of faith. Tom, thank you so much for coming on the program today, and I'm praying for you, and I appreciate you. you. Any last words before we close out? Well, Jeff, thanks for the opportunity to have the conversation, brother, and I appreciate your support and your prayers, and please pray for me. That's the most important thing. Pray for me. We'll do it. Thank you, Tom. God bless you. You've been uh, on the program today listening to Tom Askell, who is running for the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And we ask you to pray, shine and share, make a difference in your world today. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.